I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, everybody's been talking about electric vehicles and what that might do to help the environment. And will it really? And what is government's role in all of that? To help us break all of that down, Philip Rossetti, who, of course, is a resident senior fellow at our friends over at R Street Institute. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So let's break this down a little bit. Uh, this is uh, We almost need our Think Again music on uh, for this because sometimes when government incentivizes certain things, you expect a certain outcome. And sometimes uh, that's not quite what happens. Tell us what's going on as it relates to electric vehicles. Uh, yeah, well, I think the simple answer is that my colleagues and I did some research, and what we found is we've really been subsidizing electric vehicles all along. The simple way of breaking this down is all these policies for subsidizing EVs say, hey, you know, if you drive a vehicle this much and then you have an electric vehicle versus a conventional vehicle, the EV is cleaner. When households are consuming new vehicles, they're not always replacing a primary vehicle or driving as much as the government expects. Very often it's a household that has two or even more vehicles. Uh, and very, t- very often these EV purchases are actually replacing a second vehicle and it's not utilized as much. The reason this is an important aspect is because an EV has very high emissions associated with its manufacturing mm-hmm. compared to a conventional vehicle, but it has a lower emissions uh, for each mile that is driven. So if you're not driving these cars enough, then you're not actually getting an emissions benefit. And what we found is sometimes there are households that are probably not even getting uh, any emission benefit at all. If you have a two-vehicle household and you need to replace one of those with a, an EV, you'd have to hold on to it for about 10 to 11 years, and you'd have to drive it at least 70,000 miles before you even start getting a net benefit. But you compare that to a household that might have no vehicle and buys a new one, it's much easier to get a benefit. You'd only have to hold on to it for about two to three years and drive it 28,000 miles. So the subsidies really need to start reflecting utilization instead of just rewarding households for buying an electric vehicle. Yeah, and just uh, explain that for us uh, a little bit in terms of that manufacturing uh, impact. I think a lot of people just think electric vehicles, that's going to be better, it's going to be cleaner. Uh, but talk to us just a little bit, kind of the backstory there in terms of what is the, the manufacturing environmental impact as it relates to electric vehicles. Yeah, so an electric vehicle is basically a big battery, a lithium-ion battery with four electric motors on the wheels. 
Uh, and that, you know, might seem pretty simple, but that requires a huge amount of minerals that have to be extracted, a lot of metals, copper and lithium and cobalt. And actually getting that much material, uh, it, it's much more emissions intensive than a conventional vehicle. Uh, you know, it's about six times as many minerals required for a EV compared to uh, a conventional vehicle. And because of that, you end up with this really high uh, manufacturing cost and, and production and pollution input but every mile that's driven is just way cleaner than the conventional vehicle. So you can kind of think of it as, all right, you know, if I'm driving this EV a lot, then I get a cleaner life cycle emission profile. But if the conventional vehicle is not being driven as much compared to uh, an EV that would also not be driven as much, then the EV is just never going to overtake that. Uh, you know, it's, it's never going to compensate for its initial manufacturing emissions, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then what, what about on the back end? Is that factored in at all in terms of, obviously, these batteries uh, do have a, an environmental impact in terms of what you do with them at the at the back end? Is there is there any component in there that makes it better or worse? You know, that's something that we're actually looking into as well, because there's a big debate as to how long do these batteries actually last, uh, how long before they have to be replaced, which can be a very expensive repair for a new vehicle. And right now, EVs are so new into the market that we just don't have a lot of understanding of how long people hold on to their EVs uh, and if these potential repair costs associated with the batteries are maybe making it so that people uh, can't keep them as long. But that's going to be for future research, so you know, stay tuned for that. But <laughs> Uh, I, I think you're right to point out that we're just not really considering all of the aspects of vehicle ownership when we design these programs. Yeah, and then let's take it all the way to the uh, the subsidy component in terms of government weighing in. Uh, we know often when when government weighs in or provides subsidies, uh, sometimes that that you know spurs things on, and and sometimes it actually inhibits some of the innovation because the government ends up picking winner, winners and losers. How are we seeing that play out in the electric vehicle space? Well, we know that EV demand is growing even without the subsidies. You know, it's mostly a lot of wealthy households that are buying EVs, which is great. You know, we want people to, to buy vehicles where they think they're going to utilize it or there's going to be an emission benefit. But the challenge with the subsidy structure is it's not really targeted towards an outcome. It's not really saying, okay, if you're utilizing this EV this much, then you get rewarded for the environmental benefit. It's just saying, hey, if you buy an EV, here's a, a big chunk of money. And the challenge with that is you're not going to get the incentives aligned to necessarily get the environmental benefit. And if it's a rich household that's just buying a second or even third or fourth car that's an EV and just having it sit in the driveway, uh, you're actually spending money on something that gives you no benefit when you could have spent that money on some alternative, uh, uh, you know, transportation emission reduction, you know, hybrids, for example, I think are you know, not really subsidized, but in most cases can get you uh, much more emissions benefit uh, compared to the same sort of government policies that are supporting EVs. Uh, so it's just something we need to really think about is, are we really getting as much out of these programs as we think we are? Yeah. And what's on the horizon as it relates uh, to some of these subsidies and kind of where the, the market is and uh, where, where you see things going? Well, Build Back Better, uh, which you know maybe will be resurrected in the future, who knows? They wanted to increase the subsidies. They wanted to have about a 
up to $12,500 per vehicle subsidy. But the structure, again, was not targeted towards utilization. And when the Congressional Budget Office looked into what they expected the uptake of the subsidy would be, it showed that there's basically no uh, improvement from the subsidy. So I think, you know, we're bringing it down to, okay, does the subsidy actually increase EV adoption? That's a bit debatable. You know, we're, we're seeing that people make vehicle purchase decisions based on a whole array of factors, not just cost. And we're not really sure if the subsidies get to where we need to go. But we do know that people are buying EVs, uh, you know, much, much more rapidly than we were before. Uh, but if we want to think about climate change, this is also a global problem. Yeah. So it's great that we're moving in that direction, but we're still not even close to getting it to a global, uh, you know, electrification of transportation sector. It, oil demand is still very high uh, projected into the future. So uh, we're, we're not there yet. And it's not only going to be just these uh, programs that can overcome that either. Yeah. Uh, great insight as always. Uh, Philip Rossetti, resident senior fellow, focuses on all things related to energy for R Street Institute. Uh, Phil, great insight today. This is one uh, I know we'll be talking about again in, uh, in the future, but great research, great insight. Uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for having me. Coming up, what does Washington need to do differently to bring down inflation? Utah Representative Blake Moore joins us next right here on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.